You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life family. So good to be with you guys all here today to worship with you all who are here in person and those of you who are joining us online. uh, It's a pleasure to be with you as well. My name is Adam McKeldry. I get the honor of serving here on staff as one of the pastors. Um, Like uh, Annie said, we started our new series this last week. I cannot believe that it is already December. 2021 has just flown by. But we are in the Christmas season, which means we do an Advent series. And last week, Josh started our new series, which we call The Journey. And he talked about the promises of God. And he touched on one of the promises that we're going to go more into depth today, how God had promised a king that would come and that he would establish a throne for this king and that throne and that kingdom would last forever. But he also talked about another promise that God gives in his word and that that promise was that he will never leave us or forsake us, never abandon us. And so we had this really great conversation about loneliness last week. And a lot of us, it hit really close to home. It was a very timely sermon from the Lord. Because this time of year sometimes is not a happy time, a fun time of celebration with family and friends because we might be missing family and friends. And so we had this amazing opportunity to start that conversation. Last week in our life group, we had such a great conversation about it. We were talking about all the different ways and in times in our life that we've felt alone, even though we've, we're surrounded by people, and how loneliness just seemed to be all around us. And we got to share about how God and the people in our lives helped us walk through those seasons of loneliness, and it was an amazing time for our life group last week. And I know there's a lot of other life groups that met last week and had just as good of conversations. Um, If you're not in a life group, I highly encourage you to sign up for that thing that's coming up at the end of January. It is going to be a great opportunity for you if you're not connected in, or maybe you're in a life group that you don't feel like you sit well in, this will be a good opportunity for you to meet some new people and get into a different community. Sign up for that. So today we're going to continue our journey down this path of Advent as we look back and and celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ and look forward to his coming again. And this journey that we are on is a journey of faith. Uh, Really, it's a journey of faithfulness. And it's less about our faithfulness and more about the faithfulness of God. And I want to spend some time today wrapping our minds around that idea of faith and faithfulness. Because those words in our language can mean lots of different things. You know, we use the word faith for, to describe what we're doing here. Our time to get, you know, our relationship with God, our time of gathering, we talk about that being our faith and being faithful to God if we are following him. You know, we use the word faith are faithful when we're referring to somebody's skills and abilities. I have the utmost faith 
and Greg's ability to come up here every Sunday and lead a worship team to mash up like six different songs and it makes sense. Like his skill and ability is sturdy. I have a ton of faith in his ability to do that. We also use that word when we're talking about relationships, talking about fidelity in relationships. If somebody is trustworthy and true to their partner, we say that they are faithful. Well, this word is used a lot throughout the text to describe God. And one place in particular that I want to take us to to begin is in Exodus 34, when God uses this word to describe himself. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Exodus 34 with me. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen here. Exodus 34, we're going to start reading in verse 6. Here's what God's word says. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Abounding in love and faithfulness. This is who God says he is. And then if you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7, God again tells us about himself. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. God says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations and those who love him and keep his commands. So there's an interesting little word play going on between these two verses. And I just want to give you guys a little tidbit of the, the fun that I had as I was diving into this last week. There are two different words that God uses here in between these two texts to describe faithfulness. The first one that we see in Exodus 34 is the word emet. Now this word emet is used all throughout the text to describe who God is. And it talks about his firmness. It talks about how he is a firm foundation. It talks about faithfulness. It talks about his truth and stability. That he's reliable and trustworthy. That's the word that he uses in Exodus 34. And then over in Deuteronomy 7, we see a word that actually is the root word of emet, which is aman. And aman is used throughout the text to describe being faithful, being trustworthy, sure, such that anyone can lean upon it. If you are 
wondering or you see and you notice the fact that the word aman looks very familiar to a word that we use in the English language, you would be correct. It is close to the word amen. We use that word in the church in our, in our uh, prayers all the time. The word amen is, finds its root in the same word. When we say amen, we're saying, let it be. Let it be true. But here's God in these two pieces of text declaring to us, I am a faithful God. I am a God who is stable, one who can be relied on. You can trust that what I say I will do, I will do it. I am like a rock, a firm foundation. You can stand upon me. You can lean upon me. This is who I am. And I love this description that God gives of himself. But there's something inside me that pushes back a little bit. Because, you know, as human beings, we, we are naturally suspicious, aren't we? And when somebody or something tells us that it's faithful or true, we're like, I don't know if I know that or believe that. I don't know that I've seen the evidence of that being true about you. You know, generally, we would love to see something or experience something that would give us the confidence that what that person or that thing is declaring about itself is actually true. Our faithfulness, our faith in something's faithfulness is tested, needs to be tested. Last week, after church service, I went home, I'm eating my lunch, and I'm thinking to myself, I have to put up Christmas lights again. It's that time of year, and so I'm looking ahead at my schedule, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's no way I have any other time. This is like the last day for a week that it's going to be a decent weather. So I decide, okay, this is the day. I go out and I grab my ladder, my extension ladder that I got a couple years ago for Christmas, and I'm taking it out, and I set it up, up inside the house, and I roll it up, and as I'm setting it up alongside the house, I have this thought, is this thing going to hold me? And I'm like, I don't know if it is. And so I I do the whole, put it up against the house, step on the first rung, jiggle a little bit, go back and forth, jiggle a little bit. I'm like, okay, I think it's sturdy. Now this ladder has done nothing over the last year except for sit and wait to be used again. It's done nothing to to make me think that its ability to be stable and reliable has been compromised, but yet I'm not sure that I have the faith in it. So after I have it nice and firm, I think I do the real test, which is start to climb up that thing, and it's flexing back and forth, and I cross where they are intersected, and that's the real point. Real trial right there. I'm like, I hope it doesn't snap right here. And get to the top of the ladder, still not quite trusting if this thing is faithful, and start to put up the light. Hang it like this. But the longer I stand up there at the top of my ladder, the longer and more confident I become 
in the faithfulness of this ladder. And I'm able to start move around more up there and feel more confident. And I'm like Chevy Chase up there doing the whole one lean thing, <laughs> trying to staple up my ladder, hoping I don't hit my, my string or my glove and get stuck up there. But it took time for me to regain my confidence in this ladder, even though the ladder had done nothing. It was still faithful and true. And I think we go through something similar like this when we talk about God's faithfulness. Like we like to see evidence of his faithfulness still being true, that he, he is the true and firm the Lord that he says he is, that he will come through, that the promises that he makes he will fulfill. I know that there are lots of ways that we have evidence in, of that in our lives. We have lots of evidence in the text that testifies to God's faithfulness. And I want to take us back to the promise that Josh introduced last week to tackle this. I want to point to this evidence, and it's really applicable to this time of year because it has to do with the Christmas story. So come with me over to the Gospel of Luke. This is the book that Luke writes gives us the biography of, of Jesus' life and ministry. And it is a good book. Luke is an, was a physician, and he, he loved accuracy and detail. So in Luke chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 26. Here's what he wrote. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This moment is the beginning of God's promise being fulfilled. God's promise that he made to David a thousand years before Mary was even born. Now, if you are unfamiliar with David or his story or this promise that I'm talking about, let me step back for a second and just catch you up and give you the Reader's Digest version of how we got here. Most of you don't even know what Reader's Digest is. Cliff Notes? Cliff Notes. I saw some nods. Okay. So David, and it goes back to the time when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, out from underneath slavery, 
And they got into the land that God had established or promised Abraham hundreds of years before, and they are settling in this land. And the time comes when finally the people are like, you know what? We want to be like all the other nations around us, and we want a king. And God said, okay, I will give you a king. And so he raises up Saul to be the first king of the nation of Israel. Now Saul was not a great king. He did not walk with the Lord. But during his reign, the Lord chose a young shepherd boy by the name of David from the house of Jesse. He said, this is my anointed. And he chose him to be the king. And after some time, David eventually is able to take the throne and rules. And he is described in the text as one who was after God's own heart. And through military might, he was able to push his enemies out and give his kingdom peace. And one day David was sitting there in his nice house, sitting in the peace that he had fought for. And he looks out and he sees God's house, which is still the tent, the tabernacle that they had been dragging around the desert. And he's like, it's not right for me to be living in this nice house and God to be living in that, so I'm going to build God a house. But God says, no, that's not for you. But what I will do, what I will do, David, is I'm going to raise up from your lineage, from your house, someone that I will put on the throne. And the kingdom that I establish with that person will last forever. And that was the promise that God had made. Now David eventually dies and a whole slew of kings that are tied to him are born and rule. I made a table for you guys that I wanted to show you. So here we have the 20 descendants of David who sat on the throne and ruled either the the United Kingdom of Israel or over Judah. And as you can see, not many of them did a very good job. Of the 21 that includes David, only seven of them did right in the eyes of the Lord, we're told. King after king, generation after generation, they fell short. We had a, a king that would raise up, that would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was not faithful to God. He was not a good servant of the Lord. And so God did not establish any of these men's kingdoms forever. But why would he? None of those guys could get it right. They failed. But that did not mean that God's promise was null and void. You see, because God is faithful even in our failure to respond in kind. Because the 
The kingdom, the throne that he wanted to establish was not one of earthly means, but one of heavenly means. And since that was his plan all along, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born to a young woman, a young man, Mary and Joseph, both of the house of David, to live a life that he would start to establish his kingdom here on earth through Jesus' ministry so that someday when he comes back and sits on the throne, that kingdom will be established forever. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And that promise of David came to fulfillment through the birth of Jesus. And that's just one of the many evidences that we have of God's faithfulness. But what happens? What happens to us in those times where we can't see those faithfulnesses or we forget or those evidences or we forget what those evidences were of God's faithfulness. What happens when we know up here that God is true, that he is firm, that he is who he says he is, that he's trustworthy, but our hearts seem to not believe it. We doubt it. There's, we lose that connection. What do we do in those moments? How do we handle that time in our life Well, there, I think there's a really awesome example of what to do. In the text, there's many, but one in particular I want to take you guys to is in Psalm chapter 89. This is not going to be on the board. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps on your phones, uh, go over to Psalm 89 with me. So in this psalm, this writer is writing during a time when the kingdom of Israel was no more. Like they had been completely decimated by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and everybody had been taken into captivity. And at some time, either during that exile or after that exile, when they came back, this writer writes this psalm. And, he's, and I want to want you to know, or I just want you to listen. And listen how he handles this wrestling match that he has with his mind and his heart. He starts out in verse 1. He says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands Firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You can hear the confidence that he has in who the Lord is, that he has experienced God's greatness, God's love, God's faithfulness. And he continues this as he writes the rest of the psalm, talking about how great and faithful God is, how his love endures forever for about 30 verses, but then he, he makes a left turn and his mood changes. And over in verse 38, 
He says this. Right after he talks about the promise that he made, that God made to David. He says, but you have rejected. You have spurned. You have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. And he cries out, God, why are you not doing what you said you were going to do? Why is there no king? Why is there no descendant of David on the throne? When will you be faithful to your promise? When will you come through? I'm almost, I'm on the last leg. I'm almost dead. Am I going to see it, Lord? Come through for us. But even in the midst of his cry out, he ends his psalm like this. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Those, that's the word that we just talked about. Praise be to the Lord, faithful and faithful. Trustworthy and trustworthy. Even in the midst of him not being able to to see the evidence that he thinks he's supposed to see of God being faithful to his word, he still chooses to stand on God's faithfulness. I don't know how many of you can relate to what this guy is writing about, but I know I can. Years ago, before I got into the ministry, I had, I had, had this belief, I I was really sure that God had given me the purpose to glorify him, make disciples, and he had given me a calling of teaching and coaching people. And back then I thought, that means I'm supposed to teach high school math and coach basketball, because those were things that I was interested in. So that was what I pursued. But as I was finishing up my degree, God said, no, I have something else for you. And the assignment that I was thinking I was going to take as a high school teacher, God gave me a different one. He said, I want you to come on staff at this little church and be a pastor. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. I'm called to make disciples and glorify you by teaching and coaching people to be better followers of you, of course I would be a pastor. But it was not easy. It was very difficult. I got hurt. I got hurt by people that I was trying to minister to. I got hurt by people I was trying to minister with. I got hurt by the leadership that I was ministering for. And when I stepped out of my last job in Montana as a pastor, I thought God had not been faithful. It's like, God, I was so sure that this was what I was supposed to be doing for the rest of my life that you must not be faithful because now I'm not doing it. But what I've learned over the last decade since then is that my 
purpose to glorify God and make disciples in my calling of, of teaching and coaching people to be better followers of Jesus has nothing to do with my job, has nothing to do with the assignment that he gives me. And it took a while for me to realize that. It took me a while to realize that during that whole time that I was not working for a church, God had indeed been faithful. And he gave me opportunity after opportunity to live out that purpose and that calling. I didn't have to be a pastor at a job, at a a church. But God has, has blessed me and has been gracious to give me the opportunity once again to have all three of those things line up and I get to be on staff here. But I know, I know now that if he called me away from that to do a different assignment, to do a different job, that does not change my purpose and my calling. And it's the same for you guys. Mary, too, had a choice like I did. I had to choose to walk in God's faithfulness even though it didn't make sense in the time. But Mary, too, had to make that choice. You know, she, as the angel had come to her, she knew She knew her family's history. She knew that the man she was about to marry was a descendant of David. In fact, so was she. And she has probably known of the track record that her descendants had sitting on the throne. And so as the the angel came to her and was announcing to her what God was going to do through her, I could imagine that some of that was in the back of her mind. And so she had a choice on what she was going to do. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1 and read how she chose to respond. We're going to pick up in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth, is in her sixth, she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Mary chose to put her faith in who she knew God to be. She chose to remember what she had seen of him. She chose to take those words of the angel that God's word will never fail and trust in that. And she chose to stand in God's faithfulness. Just like the psalmist, the writer of Psalm 89 did. And so I ask you guys, how are you going to respond to his faithfulness? Because we 
we all have the, the opportunity to do so. We have a res- an opportunity to respond to God's faithfulness. How will you do that? As we move towards the Lord's Supper today, I want you guys to think of some things. But before we get to that, if you're new here with us, we do communion every week. It is a great honor to celebrate this as a family. You don't have to be a regular attender or a member of real life to partake in this. The only thing we ask is that you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you have done that, please celebrate with us. If you didn't grab communion on your way in, we have some guys in the back that can be able to get you a piece. Just raise up your hand. But as you guys are getting your communion ready today, I want you to sit and think about that question. How will you choose to respond to his faithfulness? How will you choose to respond to God's faithfulness today? You know, is your response going to be tied to the sermon that we, the topic we talked about weeks ago about forgiveness? Have you been wrestling through that and dragging your feet to give or ask for forgiveness? And you're going to respond to God's faithfulness to you by pursuing that? How do you respond to his faithfulness this next year? Does it look like you finally stepping out and trying out a life group? Take the next few moments. Between you and God, just think about that. God, what, how do I respond to your faithfulness today, this week, this month, this next year? God's faithfulness was again evidenced by what we hold in our hands, what we get to celebrate each week, the sacrifice that he gave, which was needed for his kingdom to be established. And so on that night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember his faithfulness to his word. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us proclaim together. Father, we... We come before you, Lord, this morning, and we want to first thank you. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, that you never change. That your character, that your word is something that can be depended on. You are a rock. Lord God, I ask for for myself and for each one of us here today that as we 
wrestle through those times where we, we forget what you've done. We forget your faithfulness. Or we're looking for evidences of that, Lord, that you will show us and remind us of who you are, that you are dependable, that you are reliable, and you can be trusted. Lord, it is in that precious name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.